This morning we're going to be in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, and it'll be verses 6 through 11. Um, so if you've got a phone or a Bible app, uh, go ahead and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the passage for us, and then we'll pray together. Cool? It says this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Uh, God of all grace, Jesus, our King, we pray now for your Spirit to teach us, to show us who you are, um, to help us experience reality with you, and to know you on levels uh, that are so profoundly deep that the world would look at us as ones to be pitied, but also as ones to which they want to know the reason for our hope. And so, God, I thank you for your grace. I thank you for Jesus. And I pray that this text would edify us and encourage us today. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So this text, uh, particularly for me, has been um, one that I've been meditating on for months, weeks, and I haven't quite been able to get my mind around it. I haven't quite been able to understand it. Um, and even as I prepared to speak to you guys today, it was like, man, I still can't quite get it. <laughs> I still don't understand. Uh, so we're going to come to this text together, both wanting and longing for more of understanding and more of seeing Jesus. So the question I have to open us up is, how, how do we live on the tightrope of life? With joy and sadness, hope and suffering, heaven and earth. Being, if you're a believer in the room, being an exile in a world that doesn't understand you, that doesn't necessarily see you the way that God would see you. See, it's easy for us to fall one way or the other when we're thinking about life as a tightrope. We can fall into joy when we're supposed to be in sadness, or we can fall into sadness when it's really about joy or vice versa, hope and suffering. There's a tension. It's easy to skew reality when we're walking the tightrope. I wish this tension, honestly, that it didn't exist. I really wish it didn't. Um, but for those of us who call Christ Lord, 
this actually feels more intense, if I'm honest, than if I didn't know Christ as Lord. It feels more intense to walk the tightrope saying that Jesus is my Lord, that Jesus is my all, that Jesus is my hope, than it would be if I didn't. I wouldn't think twice about it. See, there's an awareness here in this passage in 1 Peter of the tension of walking the tightrope of life. And I think that we can learn something from Peter as he shows us Jesus here. And I don't even know if you, if you look back at the passage, if you can even see the tension that he's drawing out. You see at the beginning, be humble before God. You see in the middle, resist the devil who's looking to devour. Then you see at the end, suffering is going to be for a little while, but God has an eternal glory for you. There's a tension there. There's two, there it seems like there's two realities existing at once. So Peter is speaking to a broad range of Christians rather than just a local bunch. So in, in many ways, some of us, I wouldn't assume that everybody here is a Nashville native, that at some point you may have transplanted in. Peter's speaking to people who have many different backgrounds, who are coming from many different places, who are experiencing many degrees of suffering. In, verse, in chapter 1, verse 1, he says, To the elect of God of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. That's a wide range of locales. And then he says in chapter 5, verse 9, he says, Your brotherhood throughout the world. So again, he's speaking to them saying, This is a broad thing. Everybody is experiencing this. This massive group of people probably would have covered 750,000 square miles. So we're thinking Texas to California, probably, and upwards into the, the upper north of the United States. Like, it was a large span of people. And this can give them a varying degree of what it means to suffer what it means to experience the suffering of this world. One, for being a Christian, being persecuted is one thing, but even experiencing just the, the pains and the tensions and the struggles and the sufferings of this world. See, these believers were hard-pressed by various sufferings. Some could be displaying what we all know when people are being squeezed, what we all know when people are suffering. They can display triumphalism one side of the tightrope. This isn't happening to me. This isn't a thing. God's got this. This isn't hard. I'm going forward. Or, on the other hand, they might be experiencing despair. There is no hope. This is never going to get better. These things are extremely hard. These original readers were anxious. They're fighting attacks from the enemy. And when I say enemy, I'm talking about spiritual warfare. Daily. They are experiencing deep suffering. And Peter doesn't want them to fall off one side of the tightrope or the other. See, we too can fall off the tightrope one way or the other, faltering in reality, experiencing what the enemy wants to happen. He wants us to feel wobbly. He wants us to go to one side or the other. He wants us to not be in tune with reality with Jesus. But you see, Peter knows a great story. He knows a great Savior, one that in the beginning God created us to be carried by Him. 
and to walk with him where we need him for life and breath and everything. There wasn't a need in the beginning for tension. There wasn't a need to feel like we're going to fall off into one side or the other. There wasn't a skewed reality. There wasn't, ex- there wasn't an experience of suffering or walking in sin. There was no tightrope at all. It was just us and God. And the world we inhabited, it knew us and we knew it. And it was home. I know sometimes when you're walking in in pain and suffering and on the tightrope of life, it doesn't feel like you're at home. It doesn't feel safe. See here, Peter writes to them as an old man. He's not some young strapping buck like what you see in the Gospels, saying one thing, doing another, jumping out of the boat. He's writing to them as a man who has experienced deep wounds, failure, pain, suffering, shedding light on years of hardship. His aim isn't for these believers to live a long life, just teetering on the tightrope. His aim for these believers is to live a faithful life, relaxed in the arms of Christ, who carries us. Again, it's not for them to live a long life just teetering but for them to live a faithful life, relaxed in the arms of Christ who carries us. The Christ who will return them and who will return us home. So here's the big idea as we kind of jump into the text. There is a mighty God who cares for you. There is a mighty God who cares for you. Just let that sink in for a second. There is a mighty God who cares for you. And because there is a mighty God who cares for you, for those who love to take notes, we're going to look at three specific things. He says we must embrace humility. He says we must resist the devil. And lastly, we must suffer in now, it feels weighty, but I promise it's going gonna, it's gonna to feel better at the end, Lord willing. But the first, look, at, look with me at verses 6 and 7. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So as the tightrope wobbles and you feel yourself teetering, We can have one of two responses. And the world around us has one of two responses. (laughs) Let's look at the the verse right at the beginning, verse 6. The two words he says there, humble yourselves. So to understand this phrase, we need to look at the photo negative. And here's where we get the two responses. There's humility as we walk on the tightrope, or there's pride as we walk on the tightrope. So what does it mean to be humble? In chapter 5, verse 5, Peter says, God opposes the proud. And Peter's drawing on Proverbs, 30, or Proverbs 3, verses, verse 34. 
And see, humbled here is actually not an active verb. That's why it reads as humble yourselves. It's passive. It's the reality that you can't necessarily do anything about your situation, but you are going to receive regardless. You do have a choice in the midst of it, but you are going to receive regardless of what you would like or not. So when we aren't embracing our position before God in humility, the only option we have is pride. In moments of pride, deep down, it's easy for us to say that I'm the creator. I'm the one who holds this together. I'm the one who can push this thing forward. I'm the one who can pay for this thing or do this thing or you fill in the blank. You know because you've been there rather than saying, I'm the creature. Rather than saying to God, you are my creator, and I'm your creature in the moment. That's humility. Saying, I am limited. I am finite. I can receive the fact that this is something out of my control completely. And if we're honest, when pain comes, when suffering comes, you really do feel out of control. Like you can't stop it. Some of us, we do inflict it on ourselves, but in majority of the time, it's something that is completely out of our control. And it's something, if we really sit in it for a second, it's a humbling reality. When we are feeling the wobble of the rope of life, the walls of suffering are closing in, and we are suffocated by hardship, it's really easy to fall on one side or the other, forgetting who holds us. Humility isn't throwing more money at the problems or working harder to fix the problem or ignoring our circumstances. That's not humility. Peter says humility embraces limitations under the mighty hand of God. Not at the same level as God, not above God, but just under the mighty hand of God. Now, when you hear mighty, you might think, okay, <laughs> that seems a little strong-armed, like God's up there with the lightning bolts ready to kind of throw me down, kind of beat me to the ground, kick me a little bit more, which in the middle of pain and suffering, that's what it feels like, let's be honest, is that God is just allowing more and more and more, and we can't handle it, we can't do it, we can't, ex- we can't keep going, right? But mighty here actually invokes the faithfulness of God. It pulls us more into the story of what God has been doing for his people, for those who call him Lord and call him their God for generations. That in the midst of their suffering, he hears the cries of his people. In the midst of their suffering, he does not leave them in dismay, in loneliness, in darkness. In the midst of their trials and temptations, even though it isn't the exact moments and times that we want, God is going to deliver us. God is going to come through for us. It draws those in the midst of this reality into the grand story of God. And if we consider the story of God at its climax, like consider it at the climax, it looks a lot like humility. It looks a lot like meekness. It looks a lot like Jesus sacrificing himself on a tree for you and for me. 
So humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. It's also clear to me that to not be humble in the economy of God is, is to demand your exaltation now. Demand that you deserve. You don't deserve this. You don't need to be in this. You're, you've done so much for him or you've done so much good here that you don't deserve to experience the pain or the suffering that you're experiencing. To receive what we think we deserve here and now is what says, I am creator. I am God. It's our pride. So we take matters into our own hands when we say, I want this now. I deserve this. Haven't I done enough for you? Don't you see me suffering? And there's a purpose clause here, actually, and it says in the text, so that, that signals enough reason for us to want to embrace our limitations. To be humbled. He says, so that in the proper time, he may exalt you. So in God's economy, the posture of humility receives the exaltation we all long for, but it's in God's timing. It's not in our own. This exaltation isn't our, necess- our royalty on display, but in the end, it's Christ's humility through us displayed when we are, as Colossians 3 says, when we are raised with him, when we are seated with him and glorified with him. So in another observation of embracing humility in, this, in these first couple of verses is it means that we actively do something in our passive state. So as the pains and the suffering and are squeezing us, we are actively doing something though because we are humbled before the mighty, under the mighty hand of God, he says, actively cast our anxieties. When in the original, the the original language says our anxiety. So even in that moment, whatever it is, he's saying, cast that anxiety on God. He's saying all things in that moment that you feel. So when pride is our default, we don't embrace our our, our limitations, but we mask them. We don't cast our anxieties, but we bottle them. Or we run to someone else who we think can actually handle our anxieties rather than the one who can hold the entire world in his hands by a single breath. See, suffering is an acute way of reminding us of our weakness. And it's in these moments that we have a choice. We can look to the mighty hand of God, casting our anxieties on him, Or we can say, my hand is mighty, and I carry my own burden. And taking a pause, just thinking about my own experiences over the last handful of months, I cannot handle my own burdens. It is lonely, it is tiring, and it's hard. And I can't even say that in the moments when I'm casting my anxieties on the Lord that I necessarily get relief. But in due time, as I cast my anxieties on him, 
I start to sense exactly what Peter says here at the final phrase. And this is the linchpin of our humility. Is that for the Christian, the way up is always down. The way up is always down. Our exaltation is always going to be through humility, by lowering. The logic of the Bible will always funnel us to the phrase, because he cares for you. As you keep casting your anxieties on him, God is faithful to fill you, to remind you, to comfort you, to give you the peace in the moments that you need to remind you that he cares for you. Why did God become a man, experiencing the effects of disease, betrayal, loneliness, persecution, and entering into death? Because he cares for you. Why did Jesus come back from the dead? Because he cares for you. Peter would have these believers and us to see clearly that humility starts by seeing Jesus who controls everything. Not a moment gets by him. Not an ounce of tragedy or a moment of concern passes his eyes. In the Psalms, David says he bottles our every tear. He's walking the tightrope for us, friends. Will you humble yourself by allowing him to walk it? The second thing is Peter moves through the logic of this passage. We've humbled ourselves and we embrace that humility. We must resist the devil. These three ver- or the verses 6, 7, and 8, and 9 actually kind of run together. The be humble at the beginning goes right along with the, the active imperatives here of be sober-minded. Be watchful. So even in a passive state of humility, receiving under God, we are called to be sober-minded, to be watchful. What's the opposite of be sober-minded and be watchful? (laughs) Well, it's not to be sober. (laughs) It's to be apathetic. It's to be asleep. It's to allow yourselves to get out of touch with reality. So Peter uses sober-minded in two other places in 1 Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13, and 1 Peter 4, verse 7. So how does this understand, or help us understand the importance of the two imperatives here? In short, what it's helping us understand is that grace, though it is something that is received, that is something that you cannot earn, is something that you are not actively pursuing, grace does not make us passive. It makes us stewards. It makes us stewards of the moment and the reality that God has given us, even in the midst of our pain, even in the midst of suffering. Grace is motivating, and as we receive it from Jesus, moment by moment, we are actually empowered (laughs) to resist the devil, to be sober-minded, to be watchful, because at your most vulnerable state is when the devil and the enemy is easily whispering to you. Did God really say that? Does God really care? Are you really not alone? See, we have an adversary here in this passage that Peter's saying is not passive. 
He's not passive. And in the midst of our suffering, the devil doesn't take a day off. It, the enemy doesn't slumber or sleep. And I know it's hard to think about this reality, especially on, in the Western culture. It's not often that we'll think completely in a spiritual realm. We're mostly thinking materialistic, post-enlightenment, like what we can see, what we can feel, what we can sense here is what is reality. But there is an actual reality to which the enemy wants everything but for you to love God, for you to trust God, for you to want to give even in the midst of your darkest moments. And when you don't have an ounce of faith left, for you to want to move forward with God, he would do anything in his power to have that become apathetic. And the spiritual warfare in the midst of suffering is real, and we must be aware. And he gives us a really vivid image of a roaring lion looking to devour. And honestly, friends, if you think about it, it's not just in our weakness that the enemy wants to devour. It's actually even more so in our pride that he's willing to devour. It's more so when we're saying, I can do this. I don't need help. I've got this figured out that he's looking to devour. And so like a heckling fan, while, while a shooter is at the free throw line, the devil yells, he distracts, he throws everything at us to distort reality with Jesus in the midst of our pain. The strategies of the enemy come in all shapes and sizes, and his end goal is for you to spiral into despair, into darkness, into hardness of heart and apathy towards Jesus. Devouring doesn't always have to be intense, friends. Devouring doesn't always have to be intense. It can be subtle. Moment by moment, thought after thought. The buildup of anxiety and overwhelmness and struggle can barricade our minds from Jesus. It can harden our hearts towards Jesus. And the enemy's business is to keep us barricaded, focused on what will happen to us rather than what is, look, what is out in front of us and hearing the voice of Jesus and sensing his presence in the midst of suffering. And as we remember C.S. Lewis, he said, the road to hell is a gradual one without signposts, milestones, or sudden turns. And I want to say the road to despair, to suffering, to apathy in the midst of your, your suffering and hardship is a gradual one without signposts, without milestones, without sudden turns. But Jesus doesn't miss what suffering often makes us feel, friends. He does not miss it. It is not blind to him. He is not set apart and looking as if he doesn't understand. When we suffer, it is the most isolating experience, and the loneliness can be suffocating. But part of our resisting comes from knowing you are not alone. And when Peter says, Stand firm, resist him, firm in your faith. 
He's calling you to sit in reality with Jesus. He's telling you not to move. Don't lose sight of what is true. Don't lose sight of what is true. It is in the moment that we ask the questions to ourselves, what is your faith established in? Who is your faith in? How has he been faithful to you? How has he been faithful to you? When all goes dark, how has Jesus been faithful to you? Jesus is the answer here. (laughs) He is. And Jesus says, it is faith of a mustard seed that can move this mountain. And so I want to say to you, it isn't the size or amount of faith that is security for the suffering believer. It is the person your faith is in. And the smallest ounce of faith in him, friend, it is still faith. The smallest ounce. And even when you don't have faith, and you sit in this room, you look over to the person next to you, and their faith is just as enough to secure you in the arms of Jesus. That's why we need one another. That's why Peter says, this is something that is experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. It's because even though we live in a world of it's Jesus and me, it's actually Jesus and we. We need one another. And so when our faith is weak, that tangible shoulder of a friend, of a brother in Christ who will say to you, I am here because I know Jesus is here. It's just what you need. So in our firmness of faith, we remember our single, our single experience is a part of a whole. And there's a reality for those who put their faith in Jesus where when one member suffers, we all suffer. When one part of the body hurts, we all hurt. Peter wants his hearers and us to know that the suffering they face is the same for all Christians. Whether it's persecution for the fact that they're sharing with Jesus, they're sharing Jesus with others, or they're experiencing the pain and the realities of living in a fallen world. We all share the same experience. And we can take great comfort in knowing that we are not alone sharing this experience with others who are family. And we can take even greater comfort knowing that in this context, in reality, we have a great high priest who did not avoid suffering, but stepped into it, who did not go into despair, but found hope and found life in his father. And so the enemy loses when we, in the midst of our pain, though we feel alone, continue to know and continue to go on knowing that we are not alone. And so there is a real enemy among us. And while we walk the tightrope of life, this enemy will do whatever possible to make you fall, forget, or become furious with Jesus. Jesus was faced with this enemy every step of the way. He was tempted. He was tried. He was tormented but never lost touch of reality with God. The enemy, even though his best tactic, death, was thrown at Jesus, 
could not prevail. But what the enemy could not foresee is that suffering, pain, temptation, and even death would have no hold on Jesus, would have no bearing on his life, would have no barricade for him to not get through. Jesus reversed the curse and crushed the adversary and carries us in victory as we stand side by side with one another in faith. The smallest shred of faith is still faith in Jesus. Remember that. You are not alone. Stay sober-minded. Be watchful. Jesus is with you. And as we kind of come to the end, we look at the last two verses as Peter kind of rounds out this walking the tightrope for us. And, that, and what he wants us to see here is we must suffer in hope. He says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So as the tightrope shakes, as the winds pick up, as the focus, or the focus wavers, you feel alone, the odds become increasingly challenging, it's easy to lose hope that you won't see the other side. And the truth about reality with Jesus only gets sweeter here. It only gets sweeter. That if you thought suffering was meaningless or empty or pointless, it's actually all going somewhere. It's not meaningless. It's not pointless. It's moving somewhere. But first, what does Peter mean when he says suffering a little while? At first glance, we may consider what Peter says here to be an isolated incident. Um, it, we may consider it to be a series of unfortunate events. We may even consider it to be a season of life. But we need to look at the context to kind of expand our mind a little bit more about what Peter means here when he says, you will be suffering for a little while. You see, Jesus wants to expand our categories outside of outside of this life that isn't, it's not just material, it's eternal. And so when he says a little while, he means the entirety of life. The ebbs and the flows, the ups and the downs, the feeling of what that type wrote gives us. He's saying that suffering is only for a little while. He puts the suffering in the context of eternal glory. This is just a blip on the map. This is just a blip in the line of what the rest of your life will be like one day. But I understand it's easy to be short-sighted when it's all dark. Like Peter himself knows this reality all too well. His sufferings are on full display. His failures are on full display throughout all of the Gospels. But what we see is that Jesus sits by Peter at a charcoal fire and he gives him hope before Peter gets off into the into the ministry of life, essentially. He says life is going to be difficult. Suffering is going to happen throughout the entirety of this life. But in the end, it's going to be glory. And glory is eternal. And glory never fails or never fades. It's always lasting. You can taste it now, too. I know that you've tasted it now. I know you've experienced the goodness and the glory, and the small inklings of what it might be like to experience heaven on earth. 
to experience what God is moving us towards, a new heavens and a new earth. You see, glory never fades. It's always lasting. But in the end, it's going to smell like and taste like your favorite meal. The preparation, the good company. Your suffering only builds the anticipation and the expectancy of this good meal that you will taste in glory with Jesus. So in perspective of eternity, these present sufferings are, as, as Paul says, only light. <laughs> I always wondered, how could he say that? How could he say that it's only light? But it's only light and momentary afflictions. And it's only preparing us for a weighty, weighty reality and glory. So this life and its suffering is just a moment in eternity with God. And it's only a moment that we will only remember. We might not even remember <laughs> because glory will encompass us one day. But I know it's not easy. And I know it's easy to get lost in the moment and to consider all is hopeless and nothing good will come. But Jesus gives us the promise here at the end of this text that he will himself. He will himself are three really important words. And he is the God of all grace and he put his neck on the line. If we remember the beginning of this tightrope imagery, it's never us alone on the tightrope, even though you probably thought, yep, I'm alone on this tightrope. It's never us alone. We actually don't have a single piece of weight bearing down on the rope. Jesus is carrying us. He will himself restore. He will himself confirm. He will himself strengthen you. He will himself establish you. And after the verses finish with him having dominion, dominion meaning having everything, all control, all of it is his, which simply means he is the owner. He is the controller. There isn't one thing that gets past him. And if you are in Christ, he will hold you. Your suffering is not overshadowed but it is overshadowed by eternity. His grace is sufficient. Your brokenness will be restored. Your doubting faith will be confirmed. Your weakness will be strengthened. And your feet will be established on the only firm ground there is. Why? He is a mighty God who cares for you. Christ is a light Christ is a shield. Christ is a, there when you are standing. Christ is there when you kneel. Christ is beside you on your left and on your right. Christ is all around you, your days and your nights. And here in this moment, you'll come to this table. And this table was set as a reminder that humility isn't some ideal that can be achieved but it is a person who cares deeply for you. So much so that in his suffering, he was broken and his blood was shed for you. And in his resurrection, he restores, he strengthens, he confirms, and he establishes you here and now. 
as you travel in his arms on the tightrope of life, will you let Jesus carry you? Suffering can be done in hope. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Jesus, I thank you that you are with us, that you sustain us, that you one day will establish us, restore us, confirm us, and set us on solid ground. I pray that we feel rested. I pray that we ease into your yoke because it is easy and your burden is light. I pray for those of us in this room who are struggling, who are suffering, that they would cast all their anxieties on you because you care for them. And we praise you, Jesus, for your word. We praise you for your grace. We ask all this in your name. Amen.